You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about this year's Best Picture nominees. Um, we might not make it to all of them. I don't want to overpromise anything here, but we are going to make it to something very special. This is a nominee from a. This is a movie from a director who isn't always at the Oscars, but he is when he makes a movie, and that is Steven Spielberg. So we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg's movie, The Fablemans, today. This is a pseudo-autobiographical. I mean, it is about Spielberg's life. Uh, It's not really dressed up. It is fictionalized, but, you know, to varying degrees. The Fablemans is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role, Uh, Best Score, and I believe also Best Production Design at the Oscars, as well as Best Screenplay for Tony Kushner. So we've we've got a lot to to talk about. We don't necessarily hit... uh, We don't announce that we're talking about each of those categories, but each of those things is going to come up at least a little bit. And this movie... This episode is spoiler light again. Uh, I say spoiler light. We don't really shy away from things that might be considered spoilers, but being that this is an autobiographical movie and I wouldn't say there's any huge twist in it or anything like that, I think this is one that is fairly difficult to know what does and doesn't count as a spoiler. Um, So keep that in mind. If you want to go into this movie completely blind, well, you won't be able to do that if you listen to our show first, so go ahead, watch that movie, come back, we'll be here when you get back, and then you can hear us listen... And then you can hear us talk about the Fablemans. Um, in the meantime, though, you can hear the song, the title track from the score of the Fablemans, composed by John Williams. This is the song, The Fablemans, from The Fablemans, composed by John Williams. You're listening to Classic Movies Live. This is a pre-recorded show where we talk about classic movies. And uh, Pierre, as you know, classic movie is really just a synonym for Spielberg movie. Uh, how many Spielberg movies <laughs> have you seen? I mean, honestly, probably not that many. Um, but I wouldn't be able to count them. I have to like add them up, yeah. Let me see. I'll get back to you on that. I want to say that I've seen a bunch, but like... In the grand scheme of things, I'm sure I've seen more Spielberg movies than I've seen of, like, other directors' filmographies. But also, Spielberg has 30 movies, and I'm pretty sure I've seen well under half of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I I feel like so many of his movies have, like, I don't know, like, penetrated the, the cultural, like, landscape that... It's hard. It's, like, confusing. Because, like, I haven't seen E.T., but I feel like I know everything about E.T., you know, and right. same thing with Jaws. Uh, same thing with what else is here? Like, um, well, actually, I've seen a lot of these movies. I take it back. Look, this is a this is a probably a hot oh, yeah. take, but like, you don't need to see ET. <laughs> oh yeah, I think we talked about like you don't you're not a huge fan of ET. I don't think you think it's bad, it's... right? But you just like. <sighs> I get it. I understand why it resonates with people, but I remember watching it as a child and like, because they re-released it. My dad's a huge fan. We went to the movie and like, I came out of it and I'm like, hey dad, why do people like that movie? It was bad. I didn't enjoy it at all. And he was like, because it's really good. And I'm like, it's not actually. Jeez. I don't think he uh, liked that very much. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. I, I know it's like childhood classic for many, so that that might have hurt hurt him, yeah. So I'm accounting the movie. Okay, I've seen 15 of his movies. Okay, that's not bad. That's like half. Yeah, I'm surprised, actually. I'm not going to lie. I guess it, it helps that Indiana Jones was like a third of those, <laughs> like a quarter <laughs> of those, but yeah. Even though some of them I haven't seen for a while. 
Sorry, Jeff is currently counting. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's, there's been silence here. And the reason is that I'm also counting how many Spielberg movies I've seen. It yeah. is also 15. Oh, wow. So okay. I guess that's half. What would you What would you say is your favorite? Actually, maybe 16. I think my favorite Spielberg movie that I've seen... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a top three. It's either okay. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Jaws... Oh. <clears throat> Or Bridge of Spies. And I would lean most Ooh. towards Bridge of Spies, but I like wow. all three of those a lot. I still haven't seen Bridge of Spies, so that's, that's cool. Um, it's very good. It's where I like... I know Mark Rylance has been a big actor for a long time. Bridge of Spies is where I started noticing and paying attention to him because he was so good in that movie. Oh, nice. I, uh, I'd probably... Oh yeah, he does. What if I? Oh, he was the BFG. Oh my god, I hated yeah. the BFG. <laughs> BFG was like really bad. I think that ruined Mark Rylance. Any hope of me liking Mark Rylance? Um, the I big think... freaking guy. <laughs> the uh, I think my favorite is like it has to be like Jurassic Park so far. It it feels the most like quintessentially Spielberg. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think Raiders is pretty high up there too, though. I'd say. I mean, for me, I feel like it would be Jurassic Park, just that uh, I haven't seen Jurassic Park end to end. I feel like I've seen every scene in it. I just haven't mm-hmm. seen the whole thing. That's fair, yeah. I don't know, like, it, it, it feels like... Because a lot of these movies, like, I actually don't really... Spielberg is like has such a diverse filmography that like a lot of these I don't actually, like, initially think of Spielberg. Like when I think of it, like Lincoln is like, I know it's a Steven Spielberg movie, but but when I think of Steven Spielberg, I would never think of Lincoln like first. Um, same thing with like Schindler's List. I, I haven't seen Schindler's List, but I've heard it's amazing, and I've seen mm-hmm. scenes from it. But it, for, like, I think I'd be it'd be tough for me to even if I feel like if you know I saw it, it's tough for me to say it's his best movie. Um, even if it is, like, it might be like objectively like possibly his best movie like and from a critical standpoint i feel like it doesn't it's not a spielberg like classic you know he has that he has that feel to his certain of his movies yeah i guess it's it's weird i think we've talked about this before where spielberg is i'm i don't want to say he's a chameleon because you definitely do notice a spielberg movie but he's got like different styles He's got his own style, but like E.T. doesn't feel like West Side Story, but they both feel like Spielberg movies. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to describe it, honestly. Um, like even with like like some big directors, like, like I feel like with James Cameron, there's some very obvious like things that he loves to do in his movies. Mm-hmm. Spielberg is just like, there's some general themes I think you can attribute to him, but I'm sure there are many other things, like if I actually gave did like a deep dive of Spielberg's career and stuff, but I'm just like a very casual fan and I there's nothing there's not too many things to me that stick out about his style of directing other than the typical Spielberg classic movie. Like I'd say like Ready Player One was kind of a throwback to that. Um, even though that was probably like one of the worst Spielberg type <laughs> Spielberg movies, if that makes sense. I think if I were to if I were to rank all of the Spielberg movies that I've seen Ready Player One would be at at the bottom. Like I don't mm. think it, it's not my personal yeah. least favorite, but I do think it's the worst movie that I've seen of his. Yeah, I'm honestly still kind of surprised he made that movie. But um. also, it's weird because, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we end up talking about this movie. Uh, Ready Player One has a lot of things in it that I think are relatively like. Typical Spielberg and also pretty admirable. He gets some pretty good performances out of the actors, despite awful source material. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, I heard the. And like, it's not that the actors are pulling like Oscar worthy performances or anything, but like, there's a lot of stuff in Ready Player One where I think back to it and I'm like, yeah, I didn't like this movie and I didn't like most of the things in this movie, but like, I really can't knock this actor or like this set piece or this idea here, those are all pretty cool and well executed at least. Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I respect the movie, I guess, but 
it's definitely like i mean some i mean there's a few low points in Spielberg's career. Like he's not, he's definitely not like, I mean, I feel like if you make that many movies, he's not, you can't be as consistent as you'd like to be. Let's um, not pretend Spielberg hasn't missed. He's missed. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> missed. He's one of those examples, I think, where uh, he's just made so many classics that like it's, he, like, because especially now, like, I think he's, he's in the 2010s, he's missed well, I haven't seen all his movies, but I feel like he's missed a few more times than in the past um, as he's his, as he's been getting older. But he's he's just built such a a legacy that it's it doesn't really matter anymore, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like when people say that Steven Spielberg <laughs> is the best living director, like I can't argue with that. That's just probably true. Yeah, exactly. But I wouldn't. I would never call myself like a huge Spielberg fan. I'm a fan of his movies, certain of his movies. I'm, I'm not like, oh my God, like Steven Spielberg is releasing a movie. He's the greatest director of all time. Like, I don't really feel that way. So like, for me, there's, you know, if I hear like Robert Eggers is, remo- is releasing a movie, I'm like, I'm going to go see that. I'm very excited to see what that is. When I hear Steven Spielberg is releasing a movie, I'm like, that's going to be really, really good. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be like excited to go see it right away. First day in theaters, but like, I know it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that, I don't know. This is like the best way to describe it. He, he's never made a movie that really like challenged me or I, okay. So, so far that I've seen, I haven't seen a Spielberg movie that really challenged me or like made me think or change perspectives about things. Like some movies do of from filmmakers that I really like, but he makes, he makes some very fun, lovable uh, to watch movies. I mean, also like some very like, again, I haven't seen some of his more serious stuff. So it's not fair for me to say, but I feel like that's what he's more known for. Like his, he really pushed forward the idea of the blockbuster in the, in the eighties and nineties. And he really changed like the cinema landscape at that time. Mm-hmm. But to say that he like, he's, pushing like the concepts of story and stuff, I think you would be hard to uh, agree with, I guess. I, I I don't, I feel like I don't appreciate him because I love James Cameron for pushing the industry forward, but you could say Spielberg probably pushed the industry forward much more than any other director, potentially. I don't know. With like movies like Jaws and Jurassic Park. Yeah. I, I'd say those two probably are like the big ones, maybe Raiders as well. I think if we're if we're talking about challenging Spielberg movies, like you want to watch a Spielberg movie and like see something that's pushing story forward and stuff, straight up Jaws. Like it's it's mm. Jaws. That's uh, yeah, I have Jaws. Like he's made a lot of good things since Jaws. Jaws is still up there. It's very very good. I I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense to just rank Spielberg movies and put Jaws at the top. But it's more like Jaws is one of the best movies maybe ever made. And Steven Spielberg is one of the best directors maybe ever. And like Jaws being, Jaws is up there. Wow. That's cool. It's, it's I, very you, good. You maybe really want to watch Jaws now. I'm not going to lie. We, it, good job. We should. I mean, I need to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, the reason we're talking so much about Spielberg's career is that uh, the movie we're talking about today, I guess, is like quintessential to why these movies were made because The Fablemans is is uh, not is a not it's not so poorly hidden a secret that this is about Steven Spielberg's childhood, I guess, and him learning to love movies. It's all but hidden. You you I feel like you'd have to be living under a rock to watch this movie and not realize it's about Steven Spielberg. Like literally, the only difference between real life. And this movie is that the names have changed. Not entirely. I guess there's more differences than that. It is a fictionalized account, but like it's very close. It's an autobiography. It's his time as a kid as Steven Spielberg remembers it. Yeah. I almost want to say like this is a because obviously Spielberg's in a uh he's old and <laughs> he's in a place in his life where it it sounds like he's try he's just trying to do projects that uh, that mean a lot to him personally. I think what I remember talking about West Side Story. West Side Story was a very big part of his childhood or something, right? I think so. I don't remember exactly what his history with it was, but it was like his favorite musical as a kid. 
Yeah. So, so that's obviously very personal. I, I feel like almost, I almost feel like the Fablemans is like a great way to end his career in a way. Um, I doubt it will end because I feel like this man will direct till he dies. But oh, for sure. The <laughs> but like he's he's getting those movies out of the way that he's like I need to get this out before I die essentially. And the Fablemans is obviously like an attempt at or uh, not an attempt. He is doing that. Um, and this is like kind of recapping like I guess a very personal story of something he wanted to show everyone. And I I guess it, in a way like it's almost a message to like it felt like a message to his family almost whether they be like his past family, like when he was a kid, I mean, not past family, but like some of them aren't with us anymore. Like his parents who play a very big part in this movie, but maybe also, you know, his kids um, and his friends and stuff like that, where it it shows, I guess the, it's, it's not as, as magical as you might seem. Cause like, there's a lot of movies where people like talk about their love for the movies and like they got into it because it's like their passion. It's what makes them tick. But like uh, Spielberg kind of portrays that in the Fablemans in like more of a tragic way where it's not so much his passion. It's almost like his coping mechanism Mm -hmm. as from what is what I got from the movie. So you saying that like his, his parents are no longer with us. I think that was his father died in 2020. I think his mother died in 2017. Mm-hmm. And he's been throwing around the idea of directing an autobiographical work like this since at least 2002, mm. which at that point was actually written by his sister. And he said that his parents were kind of nagging him for several years after that to be like, hey, when are you going to make a movie about us? <laughs> Which is very cute to think about. Yeah. I mean, after watching this movie, I'm not saying he waited for them to have passed on before making this movie, but I'm not surprised <laughs> that he might have waited that long, like even if not maybe subconsciously too, because it's a very harrowing tale of, it's it's definitely like when I heard the name The Fablemans, I, I feel like I think of like those old sitcoms or something where like, I don't know, this is a modern one, but the Goldbergs, I don't watch the Goldbergs, but like the vibe of it is just like a happy family kind of coming of mm-hmm. age adventure. I was expecting like a Christmas story almost. I don't know why that movie came to mind, but it's like a typical family thing. But this was like very, this was, this kind of reminded me of Boyhood, honestly, where it's a, it's a very bittersweet coming of age movie that, mostly reflects on kind of like the loss of innocence if that makes sense of growing up rather than the joys of growing up and discovering new things you know yeah i think it's interesting what you say about his parents because his parents in this movie are i would very much reject the idea that they're ever portrayed negatively but it's not like they're just happy to be there and like it's it's a good time. The main struggles of the character of Sammy Fableman are very much that he is at odds with his parents, but also neither him nor his parents in this movie are ever portrayed as, like, bad. They're all complex characters and, like, very positively portrayed, I would even say. Yeah, well, I, I definitely say there's, without spoiling it, like, I, I definitely say them. I, I was biased against the mom. Even though, like, obviously she had a, a lot of amazing things about her. Because apparently, in, a, in an interview recently, Spielberg said that one of the changes he made was that... Uh, in the movie, they explain why the mom left. So the family is kind of mad at the mom. But in the in real life, apparently, the dad kept it a secret. The dad took all the blame from the, from the kids, essentially. And uh, apparently... Like, I, I feel like Spielberg might have been felt really bad about that, which is why he maybe portrayed the mom in a slightly more negative way, because I think there's like there's probably a lot of complex emotions there that he feels about his mom after discovering that her relationship with her dad was a lot more complicated than he thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the movie because I, I, I think uh, he cast Paul Dano in like a very lovable role as as the Mr. Fableman. And I, I obviously like he's not portrayed. No one in this movie is portrayed perfectly, just to be clear. It's a very For real, sure. raw movie, right? But the entirety of the movie, the, the conflict is incited essentially by the mom, I would say. Mrs. Fable, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 
speaking of the conflict of the movie, Pierre, do you want to tell us what the movie is about? Oh, I, we kind of talked about it. <laughs> We've gone through the broad strokes, but if you just want to summarize real quick. Sure. It's, it's essentially... Uh, I mean, I missed the first like five minutes, so I might <laughs> I might be missing something very crucial. But it's the it's we we are, I guess from from the point of view of a young Sammy Sammy Fableman, we see him grow up from I guess he was like six in like the first sequence, or the first act, and then we see him grow into a young man who goes into college, and along the way we kind of see how he falls, why he falls in love with filmmaking. And and we kind of see how that plays off the dynamic of his family. And we see how it, we, like, we partially see how film, the, his Sammy's passion for filmmaking provides conflict with his family, but also incites conflict with his family <laughs> in ways that I guess he never expected. And we, it's almost like a, a an on and off, relationship of sammy's relation uh, sammy's love for cinema um mm -hmm. and we see that tested through his family i think might be a good way of describing it so mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a big movie yeah i think to describe it more granularly than that you'd probably have to get into like the individual plot beats <laughs> which i guess we'll talk about but it's not super important like it's really just about what you said like it's about him and his relationship with movies mm-hmm yeah, though I would say like the family is pushed as kind of an A plot where I would say thematically it's a B plot, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Like, Just like <clears throat> this movie is about him and his family, but the conflict between him and his family is that Sammy likes movies and art and his dad doesn't so much. And like thematically, it's about movies. That's the A theme in a way. But, like, Sammy making movies is sort of incidental to the actual events of the plot, which are him and his family moving around. Yeah, the filming's kind of a backdrop where I, I, we see a little bit of conflict with, with the dad, but we don't see, like, an actual, like, Sammy's like, I want to make films for the rest of my life, and you don't believe in me. And the dad's like, you're not making movies. Like, there's, like, some slight elements well, that of happens. conflict there. I mean, like, not, there's, there's not, I, I can't think of, like, a scene where, like, that really, that comes to a head, right? Where, like, like yeah, Sammy's, sure. Mr. Fableman is always supporting of him, and it's, but he, he clarifies that it's a hobby, and it's not gonna he's, be his job. He's supporting of him as long as, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's supporting of him as long as movies never become more than a hobby, and even after movies are clearly more than a hobby, like, near the very end where he's like, dad, I'm going to become world famous director, Steven Spielberg. And you can't stop me. His dad is like, well, all right, I guess. So like, yeah. even then he's <laughs> reluctantly supportive. Yeah. To say like, I don't know if there's like a real climax to this movie, but I'd say the, the main meat of the movie revolves around the unraveling of the family. And we see how Sammy kind of deals with that through filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's tough because, especially because, like, the I guess Mrs. Fableman and Mr. Fableman are very, very different people. And they are both, in a way, living through Sammy, which is why he receives a lot of internal conflict that I kind of wish the movie got into more. I, I feel like we didn't get into that enough. But it's such, again, it's such a grand movie that it's, I don't blame it for not getting into the internal, internalized conflict of Sammy, which might have been hard to film too. I don't know might have made it off focus i just want to point out so his dad in this paul dano is always talking about like he's he's a computer programmer and he's always talking about how excited he is about like computer programs and pushing that industry forward and in real life arnold spielberg cited the first computer controlled point of sale cash register as his greatest oh. contribution which yeah. is insane like, really cool. I'm learning about this, and I'm like, this is amazing. We don't give this man enough credit yeah. for creating cash registers. Yeah. I don't know if he, oh. like, <laughs> maybe creating cash registers is a bit too broad of a term. But, like, let's not undersell what this guy did. He's an important dude. He he created cash registers. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that they, they really downplay it. Like, his 
his role in that industry is like not important to this plot at all. I mean, obviously it affects the plot, but he's very successful at it. But yeah, but no, I, I love the, I, I do love how the dad and the mom, like obviously like they aren't the best couple, I guess, but like the way they parented was so different and it really channels down into Sammy where I think you get the mom's want, like love of creativity and art. Um, and it's kind of married into the dad's uh, problem solving and ingenuity for figuring things out, right? Where we see, mm -hmm. for example, in one part of the film, uh, Sammy's making, a, I think it was a cowboy movie, right? Or a Western. And yeah. there was a shootout and he he could obviously tell that like the, the shooting didn't look real. So he he poked holes in the film to kind of make a flashing effect to, I guess, show a gunshot. And, um, and you can see like that, that made the dad really proud because uh, that that's a very technical way of creatively figuring up a story beat or a, a filmmaking problem, a creative problem out. So um, mm -hmm. it, it was cool to see that despite the fact that the parents could not make that work for themselves. Yeah. And Sammy was truly like, I guess, the merging of both of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked that, that even though, you know, generally speaking, he was at odds with his father about what filmmaking meant, like his father could still really appreciate a lot more of the technical aspects, as you said, like, I'm, I'm sure his dad loved the stories or whatever, but like, he kind of never mentioned, he, they never actually had a conversation about any of the themes or topics or anything that was that were in Sammy's movies but like the couple of times where his dad is like how'd you do that and Sam mm -hmm. has to like and, and Sam gets to talk about this cool problem that he solved are are very sweet that's very nice yeah yeah it was uh those father-son moments were really cute I I mean Paul Dano was was such a highlight I mean there's a lot a lot of the cast was highlights but I love uh, Paul Dano, he he provided such a. I mean, I think he he played the the dad role perfectly. Where he, mm -hmm. like, there was nothing really wrong. I don't think he ever did anything wrong. You know, he just kind of disagreed with people sometimes. But he, yeah, he played it in a, such a loving way. Like, I, I I love him. Like, I don't think he was the best dad, but I love the character. You know, like, I don't think he ever mm -hmm. meant. He he only meant well, I guess. Yeah. Well, what did you think of? Uh, like, who was your cast highlight? I guess. I actually think it was Paul Dano. Oh, I'm I'm a little surprised in uh, when when Oscar nominations came out. I wasn't super surprised that Paul Dano didn't get nominated. I was surprised that Judd Hirsch got nominated <laughs> over Paul Dano <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. like Judd Hirsch is very good in this, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But Paul Dano is like so perfect in this movie, and this is one of Paul Dano's better roles. Like. I actually can't think of a movie I've not I've seen Paul Dano in where I didn't like him, but I think this is such an this is a really nice role for him that's also super meaty. Like he was in Batman, and that's cool. He gets to play an insane person, and he's very good at it, and he gets a lot to do. But this is a movie where he gets to play. I you know what I'm probably stealing words from you that you're about to say and you yeah, haven't said yet. <laughs> but like I know we talked about this off camera. Paul Dano in this movie he's playing someone who's like normal and also doing it really well so it's like you just get to see a nice earnest performance from him where you know he doesn't have to be you know the the Riddler is crazy but like mm. what is his name I don't for, I don't remember his name Mr. Fableman isn't crazy he's just a dude like and like Paul Dano guy. just gets to be a guy <laughs> yeah he gets to be friends with Seth Rogen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that anyway. was a very weird friendship. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think he played a normal guy like very well. I think it's very easy to make a role like that pretty basic and boring, but there's something Paul Dano brought to the role that was just very warm. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I guess it made sense for his character where he was also very analytical, I guess, which I think hurt his family. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of things going on in that family, so... It's uh speaking of like what what do you think of Seth Rogen? Who uh, I thought Seth Rogen was really good. I think um I brought it up on a different episode we were on. We were recently on ContraZoom, which uh, maybe just came out yesterday. So if this is in fact the case, I'll link to it in the show notes. 
in this movie, there's a scene where Gabriel LaBelle, who's playing Lil, Steel, Lil Stevie Spielberg, Sammy Fableman, I guess, he goes up to this dude who's in his war movie and he like gives him direction and like tells him what he should be feeling and how he should be feeling it and like exactly how to walk off into the sunset. And the dude who's just like this high school friend of Sammy Fableman delivers in universe an incredible performance, but even just on screen, a really, really good performance of, of just walking off into the sunset and you feel and you see him like really feeling all the emotions he's supposed to feel there. The reason I bring this up is Seth Rogen is not necessarily, I like Seth Rogen and I respect Seth Rogen as an actor. I do not necessarily expect best of the year type performances from Seth Rogen. And like, I think that Steven Spielberg is really good at drawing out those performances from very talented individuals. And I think that's what happened in this movie. Seth Rogen is really good. I remember earlier this year, I even heard him coming up in Oscar conversations and like, wouldn't have been my pick, but like, he's really good. I wouldn't have been upset about it either. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've kind of tough. It's kind of tough for me to watch. Cause I, I hated the character Seth Rogen played in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it like, he made me just really uncomfortable the whole time. Same thing. I guess you could say the same. Like I said, the same thing about Michelle Williams. I didn't hate. I, I guess to be clear, I didn't hate her character. I did kind of hate Seth Rogen's character, Uncle Fair. Uncle Benny. But yeah, no, he he always surprises me. Uh, I loved him. Like I actually loved him in uh, Steve Jobs because I think he just really surprised me with how good he could be in a dramatic role. And mm. I, I I wouldn't say like this role was like amazing or anything, but um, he did a very good job of what he was given and i i couldn't have seen that many other like he he, he just worked very well in this role i, I can't yeah. think of any he was perfectly casted in my opinion yeah and uh he made me <laughs> he did make me very uncomfortable and that's not something i ever thought seth rogan could do because he's just like the most lovable guy that I, I i was very surprised when i felt that weird around watching him but he even gets some really nice scenes with sammy like not really his last scene in the movie. Basically his last scene in the movie is very funny to me because Sammy is taking his camera. Like he's, he's decided to give up filmmaking. He's selling his camera so he can buy something else. I don't even remember if he has something he's putting the money towards. He just wants the money. So he sells his camera and he, he goes with uncle Benny to sell his camera. And um, you know, that happens. He sells it. He's ready to leave and Uncle Benny passes him what he just bought at the pawn shop, which is a better camera. Mm. And then uh, when they leave, Sammy's like, you can't, I can't just take this from you. I have to give you like something for it. Here's some of the money back. And so he gives Benny some of the money back. Benny gives him a hug and gives him the money back, like just slips it into his pocket, which is very funny to me. Yeah, it was such a, it was a really sweet moment. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I think that's what makes like his his character Michelle Williams' character so confusing is that um, they are just so like I I'd say they're both like the opposite of Paul Dano where Paul Dano is just like a very steady presence the whole movie he doesn't really change he doesn't really affect too much of the plot um, but Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams they're they're both their characters are like so lovable yet so like. I also don't like them a lot and I think it just provides a very weird middle ground where I just don't know how to feel about them. And it like, Mm -hmm. it makes me like, you know how we like, like humans like to categorize people. Like I like this person. I don't like this person. I literally don't know how to feel about them because they both, they both have so many good things about them and they both do such terrible things that it's really tough for me to decide on that. Yeah. I mean, when you say like humans like to categorize people, I do that too, where like, you know, For a lot of people, the worst thing I'll ever say about them is, you know what? If I met that person, I don't think we would be friends. But the the thing is, like, I don't love Mitzi and Benny in this, Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen's characters. But also, if I met them, I think we would be friends. Like, I think they were fine people and they Mm -hmm. were like, or, or at least like they were very easy to get along with, except... I don't think I like them either that much. They, It's a really interesting version of making someone uncomfortable because like 
in the last episode, I talked about Infinity Pool, which made me very uncomfortable for a lot of very obvious reasons. It's a horror movie that's specifically designed to make you uncomfortable. Where this movie, like, I would say that Mitzi and Benny did kind of make me uncomfortable a little bit, but just because they were like, it's it's like a moral thing. Like their the, the relationship they end up starting in this movie goes against goes slightly against what I would consider morally okay, mm-hmm. but also is so deeply in deeply rooted in the relationship dynamics of at least three or four different people in this movie that it's like, it's hard to even judge. So it just kind of makes me uncomfortable because I don't know what to think. Yeah. I spent like, cause I, I remember t- we talked about this earlier, but I love, I, I mean, this is a weird tangent, but I love Martin McDonough because he makes very, I mean, a lot of movies like a game of Thrones too, you could say there's a lot of great characters that I feel like we see a lot more great characters now uh, that do a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. The thing with those movies, though, I think it's easier for me to like like a character that is gray because it's like the things they do in those things. It's like like I don't know someone personally that that does those things. Like in those movies and TV shows, they'll like kill someone, but then they'll also be very nice. And you don't meet someone like that, you know. That's very very yeah. rare. But these two characters, you could definitely meet someone and know them. And like they're very realistic people. I mean, they they were real people in a way. Yeah. So like, it's just like it makes me more uncomfortable because it's like this is someone that like I again like you said I could be friends with. I would I might even know someone that has done something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I think watching it from the movie perspective, you wouldn't want to be friends with them. But if you were to talk to them and like really understand them, you would be like, okay, like I totally understand why you did that, even though I don't agree with it. Like. It, it made sense in the long run. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, like I'd have to, like, I can't argue with them. Like they did have a lot of chemistry. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're tough characters to watch. And I think Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams also played them very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. So I think that's where for me after rewatching this, cause I watched it originally in September and I rewatched it yesterday. I think that a lot of the uh, character work is pretty emblematic of what I like about the screenplay of this because it's probably not right for me to think about Spielberg as a person whose movies often have a lot of like very defined good and bad because I don't think that's necessarily true. But on the other hand, like he's, he's very good at making big blockbusters, which if you want to see him that way, can be boiled down into fairly simple content concepts. There's always a lot more going on under the surface, but if you want to just see Jaws as good people versus bad shark, you can. There's a lot more to it, but like there's a very high level, like high concept there where you can be like in this movie, good people battle against a bad shark. And so I always think of, I always tend to think of Spielberg first and foremost as having that high concept, like you can boil your movie, his movies down to this one sentence very easily. And there's more to it because he's very good at what he does, but there is that one sentence that you can like, you know, reduce the whole movie down to. And I guess Fablemans isn't like that different from that in that you can very much boil this down to, this is an autobiography of Steven Spielberg. Done. Credits. You've got the whole thing. Mm. Uh, but like where the screenplay really, really shines is that all of these characters are so complex and that when you look at this, when you watch this movie, it's easy to have very high level thoughts about what you're, about what these characters, like what you think about these characters. And then you dig just a little more and you're like, well, there's more to it because like, you know, both you and I said, we don't really want to like Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams characters. But at the same time, like it's not that they're actually bad people necessarily. Maybe they are depending on what metric we want to go with. But like, <laughs> it's not that they're, it's not that they're fully bad, even if in the pl- term in terms of the plot, they are closer to the antagonists than anything. Yeah, well, I I just think like a big part of it is just like the family dynamic, like because it's not it's not just that she was like cheating. It's 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 like he was such an intricate part of the Fableman family. 
yeah that like it just makes it very gross to me like i i, I think i'd be more okay with it if it was like like she was happy because she um or she cheated because she wasn't happy in a relationship but she there's like it's a i mean it's a very cliche conflict but she there's in the internal struggle she doesn't want to lose her family um she's with a husband that uh has never done anything wrong to her she just doesn't love him like she wishes she did uh mm. but this is this is like <laughs> like benny is is so close to the family that he's not family, but they call him uncle. He's best friends with Paul Dano's character, like Mr. Fableman. He's very, very touchy with Mrs. Fableman in like a friendly way throughout the movie. And we get lots of hints that, like looking back on it, it's very obvious, but there's lots of hints that that Mrs. Fableman is a lot more into Benny than you might think. I mean, she does just outright state it. Oh, well, yeah, like eventually in the movie. But yeah. like at the start, there's a part of me that's like, oh, they're just like, he's so close to the family that he can like have fun with the wife. Like they're friends too. Like it's okay. Like, and a part of you is hoping for that because that would be nice. But the truth is like, I, I don't want to say his intentions were like malicious or anything, but it just seems like that's the way it ended out because no i mean like you want to say he's so close to the family that he can have fun with the wife but you actually yeah. mean to say he's so close to the family <laughs> that he can have fun with the yeah. wife <laughs> it's like the way you phrase it, or the way you <laughs> emphasize things but no yeah literally like i think that's why part of it is just seth rogan is such a lovable guy too is that they put him like if you kind of put like a an actor that plays a scumbag a lot of the time i don't think you would feel so much of a conflict but like it's seth rogan he's He's like the love. He's like I don't know. He's like a he's like a lovable teddy bear in a way, um, even though he's in a lot of R-rated movies. But yeah, it's kind of weird. Like when I think about this more, I've been saying to a degree that Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen are the antagonists of this movie, but that's not even really true because Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams, their characters are also the most supportive of Sammy. Like. Yeah. Paul Dano's character is supportive in his own way, but Mitzi and Benny are like, you have to make movies, Sammy. You're going to become the famous director, Steven Spielberg, one day. Uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to, like, it, I think it, it'd be harder to, it'd, it'd be easier to hate Seth Rogen's character, Uncle Benny, if he was, like, traditionally played by, like, a scumbag actor that you, would, like, usually wouldn't love. But it's, like, Seth Rogen who, like, I can't think of anyone that like hates Seth Rogen or anything. He's just such a fun, lovable guy that like it, it, it provides a lot of mental conflict. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it would be a lot easier to hate Benny if he was played by like Matthew McConaughey or something. Yeah. I'd be like, of course she's going to cheat on him. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> but yeah, Seth Rogen like definitely presents uh, some conflict there, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it is cool that we're talking so much about these these two characters, but like, I, I feel like a lot of the movie just boils down to that because yeah, they they incite the plot. I mean, Michelle, I guess Michelle Williams is like the one constant throughout the whole thing, and she also, like you said, is like extremely like she's the creative side of of Sammy, where she she kind of helps him sneak sneakily use the camera to like help him with his nightmares, I guess. And then you know, she's the one that like she's crying at the end of his his movies because she like feels the emotion that he puts into it and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, and I, I mean like that, that's, that, that is what makes it tough too. And I, I think it really puts us in Sammy's shoes where Sammy is just so confused about his family and how to feel that for a lot of the movie, like, again, that's why he, he puts out movies because he really does not know how to feel about his life right now. Cause he's not living like a terrible life or anything. No. Um, but there's definitely, conflict yeah and like i think it's pretty telling i think it's i mean i just love the way the characters are written in this movie i think it's pretty telling at some point sammy like lashes out as, at his mom despite his mom never actually doing anything directly to him she's doing a lot of things that you can argue like she, she's doing plenty of things within the context of the family but she's always like super nice to him and very supportive and like his dad throughout a lot of the movie, isn't actively supportive. Like I said, he's supportive in his own way, but it's not like, son, you should go out and make movies. It's like, oh, I like your hobby, but, you know, make sure that you get a real job. Yeah. 
But like, I think it's pretty telling that at some at one point he like lashes out at his mom and like really, really tries to lean in very close to his dad, despite by that point in the movie, the events of the movie telling us that really he should be the opposite, if anything. Like he should be liking his mom a lot more than he does and disliking his dad a lot more than he does. Not that I want to dictate this person's feelings, but like it's it's interesting. It's just kind of interesting that like the person who's actually supportive is the one that he lashes out at while the person who kind of isn't is the one that he's like, well, I must protect this man at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think like Sammy and his mom just had like a much more, like they, they had more of a connection obviously because they, it seems like Sammy was like the only really creative one in the family. So they connected a lot in that way, especially because like, I think Mrs. Fableman like, really kind of lived through Sammy in that she wanted to be creative when she was, she, she dreamed of a creative career in the future and she never really got that. So mm. she is kind of living through Sammy's dreams for that. And um, I think that that provides like more of a connection between uh, those two compared to uh, Sammy and his dad where, but I think, I think Sammy kind of gr- grows to appreciate his dad more as the movie goes on because like in the end, like, you know, his dad's not the one that, like lied to him and like tore the family apart, even though his dad never really rooted for him either. Like he's like, yeah. And this is also important. Like his dad is, is the guy who created the first point of sale cash machine. Yeah. (laughs) I think the movie should have focused more on the dad, honestly. Like we needed more love there. I I'm glad that we have a biopic about Steven Spielberg, but I think we need a biopic about Arnold Spielberg. I want to know more about this cash machine. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of funny, like, like in the end, like, the, the dad was also making waves in the tech industry, you know, they went from, I, I, where did they live in the first, was it? I think I, they I originally, they lived, I believe at the very beginning, it was New Jersey, but it was only okay. New Jersey for like one scene, and then they were in Arizona. One scene, really? I, I would say it was like the first, almost the first act. Yeah, Maybe okay, it, it was shorter, I don't know. It, it wasn't much, it was just but a really like, short first act, I don't know. He moved to Arizona before he became Gabriel LaBelle, before he became a, yeah, a, yeah. a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I guess maybe you could, maybe it was half of the first half. I don't know. Anyways, I sorry, I get hung up on plot structure and stuff, even though it's not really that important. But essentially, yeah, a lot of it. But yeah, he like he ended up going to, he was in Palo Alto during like when when Silicon Valley was like really starting to take off, I would say. So like, like I, I like he he was seems like he was very integral in uh kind of the foundation of of that that le- that industry so you know like i i kind of wish but it's it's kind of funny how like that's really never talked about because i think part of it is just that none of the none of the family really cares about what he's doing <laughs> like they're, they're not they're not they're not hiding it they're just kind of like oh like good job you're making more money which is um, like such a shame is- to me because i i look at that like i hear what he's saying and i'm like I'm jealous of this man. This is exactly the kind of career that I would love. Like he's making waves. He's potentially risking being fired at General Electric for taking huge risks that will eventually become like industry standard stuff, which is sick. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like in an interesting way, like, cause there is that theme of as a, what's his name? Judd Hirsch. Clearly out, outlines being creative and like living for your work will will cause rifts in your family. I think that's what kind of happened with. Uh, ironically, it's not a very creative industry, but it it still happened with uh, Mr. Fableman, where he he just he lived for his work. Like he always wanted to talk about it, but no one really cared, which is kind of sad. Um, I feel like if he was he grew up in a modern era, I feel like he would have, his thoughts of the tech industry would have been much more popular. But back then it was like a very burgeoning industry. So probably a lot of people saw it as like very boring or a lot more people did. What what did you think of the Judd Hershing? Cause I, I feel like it was, it, it was a very pivotal moment in the movie, but I actually feel like it didn't really have much of an effect on the overall plot in any way. I'm not really sure. Cause I think it was a very, it was a big moment. Judd Hirsch is a very Judd Hirsch's scenes are very memorable, and then they just sort of like disappear. 
it feels like a really important moment. And at the same time, I'm not sure you couldn't have just right, cut it. Yeah. If you would have cut that part of the movie, the movie wouldn't be significantly different. It would be missing some of its best scenes. Mm. Don't get me wrong, but it actually wouldn't have yeah. changed. Well, much. I think his acting like really elevates the scene. But like the thing is, like what he's saying is that mm-hmm. like oh, like art will like you're you're living for your art and it will it will create a rift between your family. But it's like no, that never happens because the rift in his family was created by his mom cheating on his dad. <laughs> like that was <laughs> that wasn't the rift. So like it, it was weird to have that scene. And then just have it, it seems like his, his filmmaking kind of brought the family together in some ways, but the, because of him hiding the fact that he found out about his mom cheating, that created the rift that he had to keep that a secret. And then he channeled that rift into filmmaking, but I wouldn't say filmmaking any, in any way, like tore him apart from his family. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the movie is sort of framed in a way where it's goading you into thinking that filmmaking is more of an issue in this family than it is because like the way the movie is framed, it feels like the reason that anyone found out about his mom cheating on his dad was because he managed to film it, except that that's not true. That's just the way that he found out and he never even showed his dad that like no one else sees that footage except (laughs) him and his mom. So it's like, that doesn't actually matter, but the way the film frames it, it fe- it makes it try it tries to make it feel like that's the most important thing that's ever happened. Yeah, it was just like a a very weird way. Like it took that advice literally, where it was like a weird prophecy, where it's like, oh, like the the uh, the expectation is that he will his art will take him away from his family because he's passionate about it. But it li- quite literally him filming his family tore his family apart. <laughs> so like. I don't know how to feel about that because like, again, this is like autobiographical, autobiographical. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, like, I don't know what that scene was doing and like why it was taken so literally or out of context. I don't really know. And it's the same thing with the, he has a kind of a sweet scene with his, his sister where after the family kind of realized, finds out that the mom is going to be moving away. uh, Mrs. Fableman's moving away that, so he kind of comes in and she she tries to have a heart to heart with him. And I don't really know what they were doing with the scene there where it felt like she was implying that he had no emotion to his family, like breaking up, but he did. And he was just hiding it the whole time. I don't know why he didn't just tell her that he knew or like, I, I just don't really know what that scene was trying to do either. Cause it, it kind of sucked that he didn't really have much of a relationship with his siblings as shown through the movie. And that kind of made it mm-hmm. feel less like the Fablemans and more like, the Mr. and Mrs. Fableman and Sammy, you know? Yeah. Which is like, unfortunately, I can't even, rem- I, I, I forgot there was a third, there's four of them. <laughs> there's four, there's four kids. One of them was a baby in like the first act or something like that. And that's why I'm like forgetting it. But like, I don't think she ever has a line in the movie that I can no, think she of. Does. Other th- she does have really? lines. I can't remember what they okay. are, but she does have lines <laughs> later on. Okay, okay. I, I don't remember them at all. And I think that's unfortunate where it, went, it might have been interesting to see how he kind of maybe turns to his siblings uh, for a f- familial connection. But maybe 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 he never did in general because, uh, I don't know, he just liked movies, movies too much. Well, I know his sister, Anne Spielberg, is, is or at least has been a screenwriter and did actually like write screenplays with him before. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I know she was Academy and uh, Academy Award nominated once. I don't know how much screenwriting she's done with her brother, but like enough. So they do have a relationship. So mm-hmm. you know, there there is more of a story there than maybe this movie makes it out to be between yeah. them. But also, like, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have a relationship. Maybe they didn't have that much of a relationship when he was eighteen and she was fourteen. Yeah, maybe. And then they grew up and they became friends. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had like two other things. What did you think of the last of the last act of this, the high school part? Oh. Uh it was oddly very corny. I, I think I think the the concept with the bully like feeling very insecure because he was portrayed as this heroic person was kind of an interesting way of doing it. But it felt very like 
high school drama esque. Like, it was just so cliche, and I'm 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 not gonna say like I I feel like high school back then was just very. We've seen so many things about high school and like what was that the '60s or something or the yeah. '50s maybe that like it it's obviously just a cliche, but that's just the way it was. But it just felt like a very cliche sequence that didn't really feel like it fit the movie in any way. So like my main go-to for stuff like this is it. If you remember the high school bullies in it and it part two, I did not have that high school experience. There were bullies. I like definitely encountered people in high school that I didn't like very much and that were not very nice, but the bullies to the degree of the way they're portrayed here, even and then in stuff like Steven Spielberg, it's not Steven Spielberg, Stephen King novels, it's like, that's insane to me. I cannot imagine bullies being as insanely mean as they are in some of these movies. And like, this is a much more grounded version of that in this movie, but it's still like so heightened that I can't really take it seriously. Yeah, like again, I'm not saying that it, it wasn't like that before. I'm I'm sure bullying was was bad, and I don't want to, I don't want to see that be like Spielberg. This isn't what happened. Like I know the real, I know what really happened in high school in the '50s. But I, I think like it just hurt the story. Like the cliche of like the bully it turns out to be, oh, I'm like broken on the inside, but I'm just putting out the illusion of that I'm strong. Like it's just I've seen it so many times. That see, but also like. I think for me, the strongest scene in the movie is where the bully comes up to him and confronts him about why was I portrayed this way in your movie? Because it does come across as someone insecure, but it doesn't come across to me as someone who's broken on the inside because he's got a bad family life or anything. Maybe, but we're not given enough insight into his life for me to say that this is a broken person. I think he's just insecure. And like that scene where he has this heart to heart with Sammy is such a good scene to me. I I love that part. I think that the rest of the high school stuff around it is really corny and I don't love it. It's just all in service of getting to that one scene, which I appreciate, but like, I wish there was a better way to get to that one scene where you didn't have all of that fluff around it. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I th- I think that was a very pivotal. Because I, I love the idea. I, I think the concept around that scene was very good. I don't. I still don't really like the bully character. But like I, this idea of like Spielberg, he was just like when he film when he's filming, he's not considering personal biases or anything. He's literally just he sees it and he wants to create a story. And he saw a story through the bully, and even though he didn't like him, he just kind of subconsciously like he thought that that looked good. That made a good film for him um i thought that was a really cool way of going about it yeah everything else about that was was not i I thought that concept was cool i guess Mm -hmm. yeah last but not least what did you think of your favorite director at the very end there mr david lynch playing john (laughs) i actually didn't know it was david lynch i had to read about it because i think i would recognize him if i saw him like regularly but he was it's weird. I, I know what David Lynch looks like and I recognized him, but he didn't. I recognized him and also had to go, is that David Lynch? Like he didn't look immediately like David Lynch. He was very, uh, very different than, you know, the last thing I saw David Lynch in, which is a YouTube video where he cooks quinoa, but still. <laughs> is that a real thing? It is. I can send it to you later. It's like half an hour of him. Like, that telling an extremely strange story while cooking quinoa. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I mean, finding out about, I thought it was just a really cute, like, obviously, I, I guess they're friends, right? They kind of came up in the industry around the same time. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, think, I think David Lynch is someone I, ha- I feel like I have a lot of feelings towards, even though I've seen, like, one of his, <laughs> one of his movies. So I don't know how I feel about it. But I thought he played the role really well. I, I actually thought it was Spielberg at first in it, and I'm kind of happy it was. I thought it would have been cute, but I think it would have been like a little too corny. Um, I think we'll save that for the Tarantino autobiography movie. 
but yeah, no, that that was like a really that was a really really good scene to end the movie on, uh, especially with that little that cute little horizon tilt at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was like just the cherry on top of the movie. It, it like honestly that whole one year later thing. It was like a completely different movie at that point. Um, but I liked it, like because yeah, I just I, just being able to see Spielberg's experience of first getting into the industry was just like such a fun thing to see. I won't dwell on it too long, but when I saw this at first at TIFF, I had just seen it shortly after the movie The Sun, which also has a one year later at the end. The one year later epilogue at the end of The Sun is like, on its own, it's not that bad, but in the context of the rest of the movie, it's so insultingly awful that like it (laughs) almost makes the rest of the movie worse. The ending one year later of The Fablemans is so good. It's it's a very, very good contrast to that specifically. And especially that little fourth wall break at the end where he like repositions the cameras. Just, I mean, as you already said, you said that was a cherry on top. And like when I was watching yesterday, I was like, ah, yes. Yeah. It's like one of those scenes that you could like easily have cut out and the movie would still be great. But it just, it made me like, it made me feel like so giddy and like a kid just watching him like, it was thing. It was it was so uh, inspirational. I guess it, so, it gives it that yeah. little personal touch. That even though the whole movie is insanely personal, that little personal touch at the end really seals the deal. Because it's like you know, at the very end, he films himself going off into the sunset, and it's like, wow, this is good. Oh, hold on, hold on. Oops, he said, uh, "There we go. Now the horizon's in the right spot," which just yeah. like makes it feel so much. It feel, makes it feel so much more personal. Just that yeah, tiny I don't little know. bit. That's like the definition. Like they say, like a, a picture is worth a thousand words. I feel like that camera movement was like was like a million words because I feel like it just it's it's so cute, especially because it's. I feel like it it's like a throwback, but then it also feels like it's Spielberg saying like I'm I'm still learning too in a way, even though yeah. obviously I think like he would he would have thought of that before, but it was just a very cute moment and. Um, I don't know. It's like Spielberg tapping into his inner child, I guess. And yeah, yeah. I, I love that scene. Like I could watch that scene by itself. Like that could be a short film or something. I would be like, Oh my God, like this is the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Frankly, like just the one year later part of this, I would very readily watch this on its own. Yeah. And I, I think it provides a really sweet moment with his dad too. I, I feel like we don't really get any moments with his dad in the whole movie, like, like r- real moments. Because I feel like the dad is a very, he was a very impersonal, like, father figure, I guess. But that was, that felt like the only time where, like, the dad really, like, had a heart-to-heart with him. Like, truly, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was, like, a really nice way of, like, kind of wrapping things up, too. Because we never saw the dad in that state, I guess, because he was so focused on work. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what would you say, what would you give this movie altogether? The Fablemans. What do you think? Uh, I, I'd give it like an eight. I think it's a very solid eight. Great, great, uh, great, ambitious story. I, some scenes you could cut out, and like the pacing's a little eh, and the themes aren't very clear. But it's it's just made with so much love that yeah, it like mm. makes up for it. You know? Yeah, I think for me this is like a a very hard seven. Like it's very good, and so it's like a high seven. But um, yeah. I think like it's so perfect in its execution that like I have I have very little negative to say about it. Like I'm gonna say negative about it, but even that's not really negative. Like it feels like it's a movie I've seen before because it's an autobiographical movie about a filmmaker. You know, there's a lot of those. Except that it's it's one of the best executed one of those I've ever seen. Like it's Spielberg. You know, Spielberg's, this isn't Spielberg's worst movie. And Spielberg's worst movie would still be better than some director's entire filmographies. So, like, it's good, clearly. For me, it's definitely up there. I don't think it's, like, out there enough for it to be something I'm, like, really, really look forward to re-watching and, like, keep in my head as one of my favorites. But it is, like extremely good so i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in a hard seven yeah i i i enjoy the fact that i think a lot of movies like now that you mentioned a lot of movies about 
like making movies like autobiographical stuff i feel like a lot of them end up just being really pretentious and annoying it's like oh movies like they're like the way of life they're like everything to me and like how they'll show how like they had some genius concepts and stuff spielberg does not treat himself like a genius in this movie it, it just shows them making movies like mm-hmm. there weren't there weren't any huge like i think the only thing he might have been kind of bragging about in this movie is that oh i i shot like i did that pokey thing with the film to make gunshots but like it, it doesn't focus on like i i am an auteur like this is how i this is my story of how i learned my skills it was like it was like he's just making movies like he, he treated it like a very casual thing and he wasn't playing himself up even like the things that you could consider brags in this movie aren't like are like just just honest cool things that he's excited about like the one the couple of times when he directs someone to do something and it works out really well it's like mm-hmm. yeah he's saying he's a good director but he's saying he's a good director by showing his character be a really good director and then mm-hmm. like yeah. where he where he like puts the pins in the film he's just earnestly excited about the fact that he did that and solved that problem it's like is he bragging about it I mean, yes, but he's bragging about like this niche little thing that was just a cool puzzle he solved. And so it feels a lot less, it definitely feels less pretentious than if he was like, yeah, I did it because I'm the greatest movie director who's ever lived. It's like, well, he's not saying that. He's saying that he solved a cool puzzle. Yeah, that wasn't like a huge like uh, montage of him like figuring it out and like conducting science experiments. It's like, oh yeah, like I kind of, it was like, it was like when he was talking about it with his dad, it was like, it was like something, it was like he did a cool, like, presentation in class or something. Like a science project. Like, it was treated very casually. And I love, I guess I love that earnestness and humbleness uh, from this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts on The Fablemans? Uh, an very, the, probably the most uncomfortable family movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and yet still, like, it feels like it was wholesome. I don't know that yeah. it was. It just, when I think back to it, I'm like, you know, that was a nice movie. And like, when I'm actually watching it, I don't have that same thought, but it's got that weird Spielberg touch where you think back on it and it's, and it's like a fond memory. It's the least wholesome, wholesome movie I've ever. Definitely don't take your family. <laughs> Be like, Hey kids, let's see how, let's see how Spielberg uh, rose up and became a great director and you'll all be inspired. Don't take your kids to see this if that's your goal because they will be disillusioned in their family. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, what's our, what's our last word, Pierre? Um, horizon. <laughs>